When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The race is on, and we're now into the most exciting month of the year for Formula 1 fans with car launches and the first pre-season test fast approaching. But ahead of F1's new era, what are the key targets for the 10 teams, and who is best placed for a big step forward? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to answer those questions and many more are Gary Anderson and Scott Mitchell. Well, hello, Gary. This time of year, I always imagine you're having a lovely time because you're not running around like a lunatic trying to screw a brand new F1 car together. Do you still have that kind of memory of, of those difficult times and still have that, oh, it's quite nice I'm not doing that? Well, I think you're talking about memory. I think you're talking about nightmares. Um, yeah, I mean, it's always a difficult period, to be honest, getting the car up and running. Uh, the pressure of all the crash tests as well. Because one of the problems with them is that you, you know, you're always refining stuff. So you have to make sure that your the stuff you send in for the crash test or the stuff you do the crash test with is going to be your your the the stuff you use at the racetrack, um, because you know that's that's the legality requirement. So that was that's usually the big thing because you're pushing as hard as you can for as much development as possible for as late as possible, manufacturing as late as possible, and then you still got the crash test today. So that was the pressure during this period more than that to get in the car built. The car build is never too difficult but these teams have grown so dramatically you know over the last 20 30 years it's, it's just it's a different world now you know whenever we built our first car there was three guys in the drawing office and a total staff of 27 i mean now you know it's it's, it's hundreds nearly a thousand most teams have and 200 people in the drawing office so it's a whole different world so the pressure on any given individual is a lot different to what it used to be in, in the early days for me. Yeah, for the first Jordan, you pretty much had to build a factory first, didn't you? In the <laughs> well, we had, industry, you know? we had to build a drone office. I mean, the factory was there, but we had to build a drone office. It was a, a bit of a mezzanine floor, but it had nothing. So, uh, yeah, the first the first job when I went there was getting some sheets of plasterboard and a bit of studding and nailing the walls up. <laughs> well, no matter what any of these teams are going through now, nothing quite like that. So, yeah, some amazing scenes probably going on behind the closed doors at the various F1 teams. Scott Mitchell, hello. I, I've got a, a job for you because... We have been nominated for the Sports Podcast Awards, which is all about the best sports podcasts. We're in the best motorsports podcast category, along with, I should say, our sister podcast, Bring Back V10s, that all of us uh, appear on occasionally. So I would like you, Scott, to make your case for why the Race F1 podcast should obviously be the one everyone votes for. Oh, you want me to actually advocate your podcast? I, I see. I, I was going to go. They're all our podcasts. Okay. That's how it works. Because I, there's no I in Okay, two. okay. If you say so. Uh, right. So basically, the 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 races two podcasts that are up for nomination is uh, this one, which obviously covers all of the latest news, and sometimes we do slightly irreverent podcasts with special themes and uh, and sort of de- dedicated angles, and then obviously we have. Bring back V10s, which explores cool stories from from F1's history. And uh, having listened to various podcasts, mainly sports podcasts, actually uh, various forms over the last sort of eighteen months or so, really got into podcasts. Uh, what I'm really proud to be part of as a member of this podcast and a listener of Bring Back V10s is that I I don't think in the in the F1 space, especially, there are podcasts that go into sort of this much detail um if you listen to the race f1 podcast you'll know that there's only one podcast that will really tell you how antonio giovinazzi threw away his latest chance of a top 10 finish in 2021 and that was right here whenever ed straw was speaking so yeah i i think if you're if you're massively if you're if you're massively into, into your f1 i think you've got two great podcasts to choose from there i know ed that you would prefer people to vote for this one i think i think a vote for this one or bring back v10s that that's worth uh, equal number of brownie points in, in my book. So both good choices. I'm not going to pick a favourite, but it would be awesome if people could yeah, head to that website and, and cast their vote. It's free to do. And uh, it's just, a, it's just a, a lovely bit of recognition. And we love the, all the support that we've had on the various things we've done on the race so far. And it's really cool that um, we've got not one, but two podcasts under the race's name that are actually in contention for this. It's a lovely bit of recognition. 
Yeah, sportspodcastawards.com for anyone who wants to go on there and vote. You don't have to vote for us. You can vote for something else. There's some very good podcasts up for votes there in all sorts of different categories. But yeah, uh, I must admit, I can't, I, the thing I like about Bring Back V10s is although I'm on it some of the time, I'm not, a, not on it all the time. So I get to enjoy it as a, a listener sometimes as well, which is always uh, always enjoyable. But anyway, enough uh, enough self-promotion from us and we can get on with what we're here to talk about. We're going to run through each of the 10 teams, but we're going to focus on weaknesses and key areas to improve. Yeah, it's brand new regulations, and we have no idea who's going to ace them and take a leap forward, who's going to slip back, but they're still fundamentally the same team, so I'll have a pretty good idea of the positives and negatives. So for each team, we'll start off with either Gary or Scott kicking off our chat with what they see as a key weakness or area to be tackled. So, Scott, first up is Haas. The only way is up for them, having finished last season 10th without a single point. What's the key thing you want to see from them? Well, I was originally going to put this under the umbrella term of um, better aerodynamic performance, but I appreciate that that's something that could be applied to to all teams to to a greater or lesser extent. So for Haas, because we haven't seen anything really convincing of them for a couple of years now, I think the key thing is serious development capacity. And I don't necessarily mean through the season. I mean what is their base 2022 car level going to be? And is it going to justify the fact that they wrote off 2021? We have seen from Haas a team that really struggled in uh, 2019 and 2020 to get a handle on it on its car. And there seemed to be parts of the concept that, 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 that didn't work. When they thought they were making progress, they didn't actually make progress. And... They just seemed quite confused as a technical organisation. Um, and then obviously there was no development on the car last year at all. So th- there's a lot for this team to prove. And we haven't really seen much that's impressive about them in a sphere like F1 that is just so development focused and dependent and aero dependent. So if this team with its revised technical structure in um Marinello where they have a they have less of a Delara input now they're working the way they're working to put together the car from a technical point of view is is slightly different there's an awful lot to prove I I think just because they finished last last year I know you say the only way is up you you might think that means that there's um maybe less pressure on them or less at stake I, I think it's I I really don't think that's the case at all I think this is a really important season for Haas in the form that it is now to prove that it belongs in Formula One still. For me with Haas, the one thing that they proved to themselves, and that's more important than anything, is that they actually progressed towards the latter part of last year just by having the same car and a better understanding of, of it. Um, it's very easy to keep changing stuff on the car and actually end up not going faster. And I think Haas a couple of years ago did that too often. Um, they, they, developed the car and, uh, they, de- they developed the car slower but in reality, you know, if the if the numbers you're getting from the wind tunnel, CFD or whatever are better, then you're just not exploiting it on the track or the characteristics don't suit. So I think they'll have taught themselves a lesson last year. The big problem is that if you haven't done any developments, any changes on the car, you haven't had to make any sort of big decisions about how you would change it to go forward. And that can sort of hold you back whenever you're having to make decisions now about the new car. So although they learned something, I think they probably also lost something. So it's a... So it's going to be a difficult year for them, but they, as you say, they spent last year just running the same car, so they have put more probably man hours thought into the new car than than most other teams. And you only have to go back to 2018 for the point where that team had the fourth fastest car over the season and finished fifth in the championship. So there is a little bit of previous there. So yeah, let's see how they get on. Let's move on to Alfa Romeo next, Gary. The Sauberon team struggled for a long time. Valtteri Bottas joins, hopes are high. But it hasn't finished higher than eighth in the Constructors' Championship since the V6 Turbo Hybrid era started back in 2014. So if you were technical director there, what would your number one priority be? Uh, well, build a faster car, I suppose. Uh, I mean, Valtteri moving there obviously gives them some connection to what the, their Mercedes has been like to drive, the characteristics of the Mercedes, how they went about using their you know, the deployment of the power, all that sort of stuff, and the, what the Mercedes engine was like to drive. I mean, that'll probably help Ferrari as well because obviously they have a close relationship. But um, I don't see Valtteri as a, a much different driver to Kimi Räikkönen on his day. Um, so I'm not sure they've got a benefit there. From a technical director point of view and the technical side of it, simply they just have to 
higher, better. I don't think they've got the people there that are basically bringing as much to the show as they need to. And they are stuck out on their own in Switzerland. So it makes them a little bit sort of, of a, a you know, a one-man band, I suppose you might call it out there. There's no, there's no going down the pub at night and having a bit of a rumour with somebody from Williams or, you know, having a bit of a chat with somebody because he's your flatmate and he works for Mercedes. That, that, that can't happen. And that does happen whenever you're in the sort of the industry here in, in the middle of uh, the UK. So all you can do is the job. And all you can do basically as a technical director is try to use the tools you've got. And they, you know, they apparently have a very good set of tools, very good wind tunnel. You know, the facilities are excellent there. But to not, they're just not making use of them well enough. So they have to, they have to do that. Last year they showed glimmers of hope but it went away just as quickly as it came. So again, it's it's about getting a better understanding of where you're trying to get to um, and making sure that your development parts address the problem and not just are, they're not just global development parts because it's so easy to make the problem bigger because you stuck someone in the car that doesn't work correctly and you just you've just stuck someone on the on the car that makes the problem worse. So you you have to really identify your your uh, your needs and make sure you keep the good stuff. And try and get rid of some of the bad stuff. I would uh, I would add to that that I think Alfa Romeo has a big improvement to make on the operational side. I think there, there's no way that team was had the ninth fastest car in in F1 last, last season. Um, I, I don't think on 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 balance. I, I agree with what Gary says about the that probably Kimi at his peak. What you're going to get when you slot Valtteri in? Probably not really getting a massive shift there. Giovinazzi to Guan Yu Zhou. Are you really? Uh, are you upgrading your driver there? I, I don't. I mean, Giovinazzi was inconsistent and unreliable, uh, but he was also very fast. I'm not really sure Joe's going to be producing more than Giovinazzi was on, on that car. So I'm not really sure, sort of, how much more you're going to be maximising the package in terms of your drivers. Uh, I'd like to think we're going to see a bit more from from Valtteri, but let's see. But then, just purely operationally, the team just made so many silly mistakes, dropped points, and just took themselves out of the running unnecessarily. Even if they're not going to, I'm not saying they would have been finishing seventh and eighth every weekend, but there were so many chances last year. There's a reason that Williams got the big hauls on the on the days where points were available, and Alfa Romeo didn't. So I think uh, I, I think that it's really important for that team with the ambitions that it supposedly has it has to start operating like a proper F1 team. And there's obviously going to be a lot of focus on the technical regulations and the vast majority of the stuff we talk about in this podcast is obviously going to be about, right, what do we want to see them do differently or achieve more from the car itself? I would say Alfa Romeo is arguably the number one team on this list that needs to actually do a better job with whatever car it gets because I don't think they did the best job they could with their car in 2021. And we should say the team's position, Jan Monchot, their technical directors argued this, that they were carrying weaknesses that date all the way back to the new regs in 2017 because they had financial problems in the lead up to that before the takeover. It's quite a long time to be struggling, but by their own definition, this is a good zero point, a reset point for them. So they've got to make that good step forward this year. Scott, let's move on to Williams next. The team on the rise had some promising performances last year. Still relatively early in the new ownership era with Doralton Capital taking over the team back in 2020. So what do you make of Williams? This is going to be a little bit broader. Um, It's sort of similar to Alpha in that it's not purely a technical thing that I think they need to improve uh, or what they need to show this year. It's that the changes that they've made are actually elevating the team in the relevant areas. So basically, I would give Williams, they're not small individual things, but I would give them a, a collection of boxes that they need to tick rather than, than, than one obvious one. And they all come under this umbrella thing of actually, is this team a better team than it was 12 months ago? So that's because ultimately they've got, in an F1 context, they've got an unproven technical structure now or um, makeup of their, their technical management. There are some slightly worrying whispers coming out about where they are production-wise in terms of their preparations for the new season. And we know that this is a team that three years ago didn't make it out for the start of the first test. So that's concerning because if that's a repeat or anything close to a repeat, then 
you kind of think, how the hell was Williams in its supposedly more positive new era fallen back into that trap again? And then also, it's what's it actually going to be capable of on the aerodynamic side? What's it actually achieved? Because last year, clearly the peaks were were better, but there were also still weekends where it was detached from that midfield group. And at times, they seemed a bit confused as to to, to why the pace had, had, had disappeared. So I think... Williams has this weird sort of collection of positive. There have been sort of glimpses of potential and what the team could potentially be becoming over the last 12 to 18 months, because even in the second half of, or even through 2020, I think there were, there were decent glimpses, but it's just right. It's a new era now. It's not just a new car. You've got the financial, uh, the financial landscape has changed as well because the budget cap shrinking again so what are we actually going to see from Williams is it you introduce them as a team on the rise well the number one thing I think they need to prove this year is that everything that they've become as a team in the Doralton era actually is a team on the rise or if there are some weaknesses that have um, either fallen back into the system or were actually never fully eradicated and have uh, reared their heads again Gary, do you think we need to be patient with Williams, given how long it does take to build up an F1 team from a a low starting point these days? Well, yeah. I mean, the cars are very, very complicated. The the thing about it is the patience runs out after a while because every sort of new member you bring into the team will always, top end, will always sort of say, well, you know, it's going to take us two years, three years, four years, whatever. And you can keep on using that forever. You know, that, that, that excuse can come in. Now with these regulation changes, it is you know, a clean slate of paper, a clean slate to, to get on with. You just have to interpret them correctly, which is no easy task because they are a very difficult set of regulations. So it's about the intelligence level of your your staff that are trying to interpret them that, that's going to be important to you. Um, and then and then you take it forward as far as you can go. And as Scott says, you know, they were a bit lost last year. Sometimes they were in good shape, sometimes they weren't. Um to be honest, you know, they got the points in the championship with their, uh, what, second place wasn't in Spa after three laps. So they got a, a major lump of points there, nine points for, for doing very little. I wouldn't say it's very little whenever you can consider that, um, that George Russell qualified second on a, on, a, on a Saturday in a fairly adverse condition. So I think, it, you know, they did a good job to get there, but the points is what counts in the championship and they, they got the advantage of that. So I... I think, as Scott says, they need to sort of regroup, make sure they're addressing the, the negatives that they got within the company. And that can be technically, it can be operationally, it can be anything. Just make sure you tick the boxes that are working for you and the boxes that aren't working for you, you address them and try to try to make them better. So Josh Peter's no fool. Um, I think that he will do that. But I think he might look, it might take a little bit longer than just a new car in 2022 before they can sort of really find their feet. Yeah, and Capito's been trying to keep expectations very much in check. He's talking about five to ten year timescales for for things, and there's there's a lot changing. Now, FX de Maison came in as technical director. Obviously, it's his first F1 technical director job. Huge success in rallying. So there's there's a hell of a lot to come together there. But you still need to see a little bit of progress year on year. But I think. Probably the next big rule change is going to be the opportunity for Williams. So this next phase in Formula 1 is going to be about gradual improvement for them. Well, Gary, let's move on to Aston Martin next. They had a pretty disappointing season in 2021. Of course, they blamed all of that on the aerodynamic rule changes that they felt went against the low-rate cars. We're looking at 2022. So what's your top priority for your old team? Well, I think they've got themselves in a bit of a state because, you know, when they did um, make a replica of the Mercedes for 2020 for 2020 they probably lost a little bit of their their creative creativity and understanding and they had a very you know pretty good season in 2020 but it was always looked at as you know as the pink Mercedes I'll keep saying that you know it probably wasn't just a pink Mercedes but there was just the little things on it that you looked at um and you just wonder why it had to be so so much the same you know one of them the first thing you see is the nose and this sort of you know, the pear drop, or you like to call it, the front of the nose. Completely different concept to what uh, Racing Point had used or, you know, Force India had used with their snorkel-type nose. So a completely different 
concept there, but so identical to the Mercedes that it was just so close to the mark. So I think whenever you do that, all great stuff, except for you've you've sort of lost your learning curve that you go through yourself as a company and, and your people. And so for 2022, I wasn't surprised. Or for 2021, I wasn't surprised that they sort of hadn't a great season. And obviously, together with Mercedes, they, they jumped in on the bandwagon of the low-rate cars, rightly or wrongly, and I'm sure there was some something there for it. But uh, Mercedes showed that if you just got your head down, you could come up with some solutions that made you, you know, at least come up the field again and be competitive. Um, whereas that never really happened sort of to Aston Martin. It had a few good good shows here and there, good glimpses, but not consistently. Um, driver lineup wise was was Vettel and, and um, Lance Stroll. You know, Vettel's Vettel's a good driver. He's still he's still a good driver. He's a four time world champion. He's not he's not forgotten how to drive yet, but he needs he needs the car to drive. And uh, his his way of driving, you know, whenever they had the exhaust blown diffuser stuff on the on the Red Bull. He was very, very good at using it, where Mark Webber wasn't as good at using it. But whenever it didn't work for them, and they had problems getting it working, Mark Webber was was better than Vettel as far as uh, getting the best out of the car. So they need a car that suits Vettel. Um, these new regulations give an opportunity to, to generate that car, but it's uh, it's not easy. It's not easy for them coming in. They're expanding so quickly. They've got so many people there. Everybody takes time to get their feet under the table. You know, Otmar Schaffner's gone. Um, Otmar was a good guy. Like him or, or, or hate him, he was actually a, a guy with his feet firmly on the ground. Um, very realistic about what they could achieve and what they could do. Maybe Lawrence Stroll didn't want to always hear that, but uh, but that's what he got. So uh, they're in a, I think they're in a little bit of disruption at the moment and they need to sort of regroup. Um, and they're suffering from expanding very quickly, building a new factory, Everything's happening at once, and I think that could that could be detrimental for them. To be honest, I'm I'm not getting excited about them for next year. I really do hope because there's a lot of people there from the Jordan days. I really do hope they do a good job, but I'm not I'm not 100 sure that we'll see that. I think this will probably tie in with a bit of what Gary was talking about there, but I would like to see this team be able to outwardly anyway show that it is more focused on being a race team again because I just feel like that's been lost a little bit over the last year or two and I wonder I I I like Otmar and I think it is a loss to that team for him to go but I think the the new team principal there um the former BMW motorsport boss Mike Crack he's um he's coming in with uh pretty uh like glowing set of recommendations from the people that work with him at, at BMW he's a he's a no nonsense straightforward honest de- decent person by by all accounts and he takes a lot of responsibility for the people working under him doesn't care for being in the the political spotlight doesn't play games or, or anything like that you could argue what the hell's he com- doing coming and running an F1 team then because he's massively ill suited to it but i think i think uh when um it was interesting hearing his former colleague Roger Griffiths, who is the uh, he's the the boss of the Andretti Formula E team that was obviously the, the BMW Works team for a while. I think he hit the nail on the head when he said that basically the Aston Martin structure needs to work in a way that basically puts a buffer between the race team and Lawrence Stroll. Now Roger didn't use those exact words, but he basically it, the words he did use was that that he needs to have a bit of protection from the noise basically. And I think we all know what that means. Lawrence is a shouty person who doesn't like it when he doesn't get his, get his way. That was one of the things I thought was quite painful to watch Otmar do in 2020 and 2021, whether it was the brake duct situation when we had the pink Mercedes saga, or whether it was the the low rake, uh, the impact of, of the, the floor changes on the, the low rake cars last year, the number of times Otmar went to bat for, for, for Lawrence in, in, in that situation it never really seemed to me like someone who was totally comfortable doing that. So I just think that instead of throwing his weight around and maybe getting a little bit precious at times because things aren't happening exactly how he wants them to, I would love it if Lawrence basically kept that stuff behind the scenes. Martin Whitmarsh is there in that sort of, in, as the CEO of the umbrella group that the F1 team now falls within. Now, Martin's someone who knows F1 so well and knows F1 politics so well. Between him and Lawrence, they could be quite a powerful combination behind the scenes. But keep it behind the scenes. Let let Mike and this team, which we know is a fantastic team of racers and a very creative bunch, re- operate the way they need to operate to get the most out of what they've got. 
Because this team was... How many times have we heard this team now say that they've always been able to punch above their weight and now they're going to have the firepower to be able to punch harder? Well, let them. Because at the moment, I don't see an organisation or I haven't seen an organisation for the last couple of years that really knows how to to balance that oh, team of hearty racers and lots of corporate firepower. I want to. See, I, I think we really need to see that change from this team in 2022 because they're not going to tear up trees this year. But this is building towards being a world championship challenging organisation. And I think 2022 is quite an important one to do that because we need to see what kind of culture this place is going to have in the long term. Yeah, sort of my problem is I don't think I can see um, Lauren Stroh standing back. Um, it, it doesn't appear that type of person to me, even even to Martin Whitmarsh. You know, Martin Martin's a bit more political than uh, than most. Um, and, and I think that that will be good to a certain level. But I think, you know, somebody needs to tell Lawrence how he needs to stand back and allow the people to get on with their job. You know, I'm coming from a, a situation here where I got, you know, went through the Jackie Stewart period with Stewart and then into, um, into Jaguar, which was owned by Ford. And I keep saying it was like a light switch went off, you know. You had somebody running the company in, in Jackie that, that understood motor racing, understood how, how tough it is, you know, was involved in it for many years. Very good driver, world champion, all that sort of stuff. But he knew it, it, you don't get success just because you're doing it. You have to work for it, and it takes time. Um, I don't think that uh, when the Ford people came in, they didn't they didn't understand it at all. Not one one percent of it. All good guys, but they didn't understand that this is competition, and to be good at competition, it takes time to get it all together and make it all work for you. And I think um, Lawrence Stroll's the same. You know, he's come in very successful businessman, but you know, and a lot of people keep saying this: Formula One is different. To be successful in it, it's different. You have to stand back. But again, the, the team that we know that were punched above their weight, I'm not sure that group of people know how to be spending twice the budget um, efficiently and working with twice the people efficiently. And that's a whole new task whenever you start getting that manpower, the money to run that manpower and making decisions on spending that are are sensible. The whole objective is to make the car go faster. Um and sometimes it's it's better if you're a team that sort of duck and dive a bit to achieve that rather than just try to spend your way out of it. I think Lawrence Stroll will be a, here's, a, here's more money, you know, I want to find half a second. It doesn't work like that. It's the ideas that get you half a second and then you've got to pay for them. Ideas come first. Yeah, it's just a question of leaving time for the team to mature and evolve ultimately. Lawrence Stroll's done a lot of the correct moves in terms of the investment that sponsorship partner portfolio is really good the investment in the factory etc this is all really good stuff exactly the right stuff that needs to be done but you've got to kind of set the ball rolling and then focus on what you need to focus on and let everyone else do do the same once you, you've put them in place so yeah that's going to be a an interesting team to watch let's look at alpha tari next scott good progress in recent years even if its championship position hasn't been as good as it should have been for the last two seasons what does it need for the next step uh i think it needs to do a better job of um, maximizing its potential because we've seen for different reasons pretty much across every area of that team that there has just been sort of not uh, nobody's perfect in Formula One but just a little bit too much underperformance there was um, when we had the after the season finished last year um, you and Mark Hughes between you basically did sort of combination of technical reviews slash season reviews of, of each of the teams and um, forgive me if I'm uh, characterizing this incorrectly but I think your Alpha Tauri piece had basically the perfect description of that team which is that they're like the underachieving overachiever in Formula One in that that team you know this is the old Minardi team for goodness sake they have no business being in spoken of in the same breath as Ferrari and McLaren in terms of performance but that's where they were in 2021 and yet they managed to get beaten by Alpine in the championship, which sort of says everything you need to know about where that where that team is. About it's uh, it's it's almost like its expected performance levels never quite materialise in terms of results. So I think what's really important for AlphaTauri this year is that they continue the they've 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 clearly got into a good position now with a nice balance of what they want to take from Red Bull and what they're confident with their own technical capabilities. So I don't think there's any doubt that they're going to design a good car for, for, for this rules that they're actually one of the teams I'm really confident 
will always have a good base level of car. That's just where they've got to now as an organisation. But whether it's slightly odd strategy calls, whether it's Pierre Gasly pointlessly breaking his front wing for the fourth time in one season or or Yuki Tsunoda going missing between the first and last races of, of an entire campaign, there's always something. It feels like there's always something that's holding them back. So I think if we're going to take them seriously as the Red Bull sister team, not the second team, we need to see them basically put together a, the kind of season that shows they are actually capable of joining that, not the absolute upper echelon in Formula One, but rather than just being one of all of the midfield teams, are they are they properly, properly upper midfield all season long? I'm not really sure whether they're capable of doing that and what it is that's actually holding them back. But that is ultimately, that if they're going to improve from where they were in 2021, that's what they have to do. They have to become a better team from start to finish in a season. And they've also got, as you say, the advantage of the Red Bull parts. They're going to take the gearbox, hydraulics and rear suspension. They don't quite have necessarily the full-blown menu that they would normally have, but they have got those things to lean on. And that's going to help them, isn't it, Gary? And the strange thing with AlphaTauri is probably, other than Mercedes and Red Bull, they're the one team that you would say if they stayed in about the same place as they were last year, that would be a, a decent win, wouldn't it? If they can go through the reg change and stay where they are, given their recent progress, that's 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 positive for them standing still. Yeah, it would be for sure. I mean, you know, I think if we look at last year, to be honest, they had a you know a one car team most of the season. So they, I think they did a very good job when they did it. When they did it right, when it all worked for them well, they did it very very well. But again, Scott says you know a little bit inconsistent here and there. Um, so they had they had bad days as well as good days, and that's the sort of thing you got to focus on now is try to reduce the bad days and try and keep the good days. And you know if they can keep the performance of the car in the same area. Of the of the pack as they did last year, then they'll have a a, a, a competitive car. I mean, no, Pierre Gasly is a he's a very good driver. You know, he's he's been unlucky with his rise to fame with Red Bull, and then you know he stepped backwards and had to sort of bite the bullet and and take it on the chin and get on with it. And he's done that very very well. So he's now a, you know on the tip of everybody's tongue for a future driver of some big team. Who it will be, I have no idea. But as far as Alpha Tauri is concerned. It's a difficult thing to know whether this relationship with Red Bull is actually positive. Yes, for sure, right now, because of the stuff they're bringing in from from Red Bull, it means they don't need so much mechanical design crew. Um, but your mechanical design team that would be involved with the gearbox or the hydraulics or you know rear suspension or whatever, they are different people from the guys that will actually design, do the aerodynamic design. And the aerodynamic design, without doubt, is the thing that gives the car lap time. All the rest of it can let you down and make it that you don't finish races. But the aerodynamic package is the important thing. So it doesn't really change the approach to the to the actual lap time of the car as, mu- as much. And this might be the wrong year to sort of be really getting involved with a sister team. It could be the same for Haas with Ferrari. You know, to take all this stuff away from another, from a your sort of A team or your, your sister team, as you say, um, it can be the wrong time to do that because you end up with just you're never going to get the updates that the other team, that the, that the first team will get or at the same time. So you're always going to be second best to somebody. And maybe that's not where um, where Alfa Tori need to be at the moment, second best to anybody. Because I think on their day, they can do a very solid job. And on their day, they could be competitive with anybody. They just need to make sure that those days happen more often. Yeah, and there's always the feeling with Alfa Tori, there is a glass ceiling there, as Scott said. The, they are the second Red Bull team ultimately. But it's quite well led. Franz Tost does a good job. Jody Eggenson, the technical director, I think makes some very sound and rational decisions in terms of the the, the direction of the car. So yeah, I think AlphaTauri, they almost feel like the team with the, the the biggest spread of where they could could end up. You, you'd hope they can continue their their recent improvement, and have a, a strong car though. Let's move on to the first of our works teams now, Gary Alpine has also been there's been some changes over the winter there de facto team principal Martin Budkowski and also Alan Prost have departed so what do you want to see from Alpine well I think we need need to sort of get themselves a focus because they they haven't really over the last while understood where they've been um you know they were Renault and now Alpine so it's the same team basically but they you know they're they're a one-off team they have no other people using their engine whatsoever now that's that's got to say something. It's got to say that maybe actually your package, your power unit package, 
isn't as strong as it needs to be because nobody else wants it, basically. So, first of all, they need to address that. They need to identify why and, and make changes. Perhaps they're doing that right now, but they did lose Rafi, uh, what you call him, Taffin, their engine guy. He, he's gone now as well. So, you know, there's been changes everywhere within the team. Um, you know, over the years, we sort of questioned Fernando Alonso, Alonso and his potential for politics within the team. And I'm wondering if the end of 2021 season, these changes are something to do with Fernando getting involved in the politics of, of Alpine because there's a lot of expectation on him from the management of Alpine now and the fact that there's a lot of expectation for himself. He still sees himself as that world champion of 2005 and 2006. You know, he, he still wants to be back there somehow. And, but he needs the tools to do that. No doubt he can drive. I'm not questioning that whatsoever. He can drive for sure. But um, breaking the team up the way it's happened in the last few weeks is not a good solution. Alan Prost, I mean, he was there as an advisor, so they probably won't miss that advice. But the relative change in the technical department is something that needs to be strengthened and not weakened. And every time you get rid of somebody, you lose something. And if and the person you're bringing in takes time to sort of adapt. So you go backwards, you know, as you as you try to bring in people, you go backwards until they all settle in and start working again together. So last year, I mean, they were they were very good at some races and very bad at other races. Same as we've said nearly every team we've been at so far, the inconsistency is a thing they need to tighten up on. If you can get rid of that inconsistency, then you have a much, much better chance of doing a lot better in the championship if you can bring in more points more regularly um, without the peaks and troughs. So... I think they just need to look at themselves and and make sure they identify their problems and and address them. And, but I'm not seeing that happening now with the changes they're making. I'm, I don't I don't know what's happening within the the four walls of the factory. But um, what we see on the outside is not to me is not a positive change. It's a difficult situation for Alpine to be in, but I think it's a symptom of where they were at just over twelve months ago, because when they relaunched the team from Renault to to Alpine. And it was clear that, <clears throat> well, the the race team itself never actually acknowledged that Cyril Abitable left, which um, tells you all you need to know about how that was handled. So it's never been a hundred percent clear whether he was was pushed or, or 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 jumped. But that was the opportunity a year before the this new era, and at a point where the development work for the twenty two cars had only just begun. That was the point to do your big restructure, your proper restructure in a way that then works for the next few years. It's a bad sign for a team to now be on the brink of unleashing their 2022 car and they don't have a team principal and six months ago they binned off their engine technical director. And it, this is a, this is all the stuff that should have been sorted out a, a, a little while back. So it's going to be a long journey for Alpine to actually, if they're ever going to become a, a, a top team, it's years from now. It's it's not going to be instant. I've said before that I I at least see uh, I at least see an element of logic or strategy in what's going on at the moment because last year I had serious doubts about Lauren Rossi, the the CEO. But as the as last year went on, he started to talk about a lot of the stuff that we as independent observers were thinking. This isn't right about this organization, or this is a bit. This doesn't look good, and he, he's ultimately been basically ushering people out who have contributed to that team's stagnation over the last two or three two or three years. So it's it's possible. I'm not I'm not going to give him my full vote of confidence because I, I don't know him well enough. But it's possible that what Rossi's doing now is actually what Alpine needs, but it needed it a year ago. So unfortunately, he was one of the people that was only brought in a year ago. So he wasn't in a position to do anything about it. But it's it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be so much work for this team to 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 achieve its goals. I would be I don't want to be disrespectful, but I feel like if they are properly good this year, they've kind of lucked into it a little bit because they they clearly don't have an organization or a structure that's set that, that that's right otherwise it wouldn't be constantly being changed would it so be interesting to see what they do i would also like to see signs with the 2022 design that they have shed some of their inherent conservatism 
that we've seen the last two or three years. One of the things Rossi told me last year, which I thought was interesting because it tallied with something a few people have told me, is he felt that, that he or he probably still feels it, but he he felt that organisation had become so conservative because it had a fear of failure that it had stopped really innovating and it was just doing things quite safely. And I think if you th- if you look at how, for example, we don't have barge boards anymore. Now I can't. I know, I know that they're very very complicated. I'm sure all the teams had difficulties with them, but the barge boards seem to be a permanent area of confusion and sort of just lack of progress for for Endstone. And I feel like if you're an organisation that really ha- has really got a handle on the aero staff, you're really engaged in the challenges, and you're 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 happy to to really push the boundary. And if you get it wrong, you get it wrong. But you're at least you know, being aggressive with your development, you'd you'd relish the challenge of a barge board because they're just they're just insane bits of uh, bits of development, and yet this was an organisation that had at least a couple of people within its aero department were actually expressed relief that the barge boards had been got rid of because they were too difficult, and you just think, well, what does that tell you about the sort of culture or the mindset within the organisation? So. I think there's an awful lot that needs to be done differently. Maybe I don't think we're going to see everything that we need to see from Alpine this year, but I'd like to see the first signs that just culturally, whether it's the attitude to the way they go about development and bigger picture stuff like how they actually want to structure the team evolves in a way that makes this look like a team that's got actual ambition because it's just a bit lost at the moment. The danger with Alpine is that they're going to eternally be the team that is three, four, five years away from being good, aren't they? That The latest timeline that Lauren Rossi gave last year was 2024 to be more consistently at the front. So they've got to get on with that. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't have massive high hopes for them this year. But I would like to see Alpine doing well because I think it'd be great to see Fernando Alonso in a car that can fight properly at the front again before uh, before the clock runs out on his career. Let's move on to McLaren now as we move into the top four teams from last year. Scott, the past three years have gone pretty well, you'd have to say. They ended a long wind drought last year. They've been in the top four of the Constructors' Championship in each of the last two years. So where are the next gains to be made for this team, given their recent climb? Well, they're in a situation at the moment where obviously we know that they're still using a wind tunnel and simulator that they clearly don't think is quite where it needs to be. Otherwise, they wouldn't be spending an awful lot of money building a brand new wind tunnel and simulator. So... I think we do have to be um, a little bit wary of the inherent um, uh, infrastructure uh, limitations that that McLaren has. But one thing that we have seen, uh, we definitely saw in its fight with Ferrari last year, is that unsurprisingly, given the organisation that Ferrari is, I think it was quite clear last year that Ferrari put together a stronger aerodynamic package than McLaren had. Um, McLaren ultimately had the Constructors' Championship winning engine in the back of the car. It's back with Mercedes. It has the ultimate benchmark there now. And it was still a good few temps slower than the Mercedes. So it knows that its weakness is purely on the um, on, on the car side. I think what we I think what would be good to see from McLaren is a... And, and the fact that it's a completely fresh concept change because of the new regs might help this. I think it's probably a better balance between its high-speed and low-speed performance. Probably be... Um, uh, probably be necessary because the team's had quite a few um quite a few big results obviously over the last couple of years but it has tended to skew towards high speed high speed tracks and and, and layouts so i think if that if that can be balanced up better then hopefully mclaren can have a sort of better more potent all-round package rather than having these big peaks but then you know sometimes being only four fifth or even sixth fastest yeah, I think whenever you, you say what you say there about the low speed, high speed balance, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, Red Bull exploited that characteristic in their car probably more than more than anybody else in the pit lane. And McLaren probably exploited it a little bit less. But I think some of this also comes from the fact that, you know, Lando Norris was a new driver. He never drove another Formula One car until he got the McLaren as such. So, you know, he comes in with his his mechanic, his way of driving and he gets into a car that's got characteristics and he adapts to it and he sort of leads the team in a certain direction to adapt to it. Carlos Sainz was the same. So, you know, they, they ended up with a sort of package that was, that was pretty good. And, and I think they will have, they'll have woken up a little bit uh, again with the fact of, of Daniel Ricciardo coming in and not actually 
being able to do the job that they expected of him. You know, Daniel, without doubt, is a very good racing driver. He's won lots of races. So, and he won a race for McLaren last year in Monza. So, you you have to take you have to take heed from that. But how he wants the car to be, because he comes in with a whole range of experience um, that is is going to be beneficial to to Lando if they can build the car to suit that. And I know James Key, the technical director. You know, he's a very clever guy, and I think he will listen to the to the drivers, and he will accept that if you can give the driver the, the, the tools that he needs, he will do the job. Um, but if you don't give him the tools, it doesn't matter how good the driver is, he, you know, he can't make up for it. So I'm sure if they listen to Daniel, they'll build a, a car that's got a better balance between high and low speed, and I'm sure Lando Norris will benefit from that as well. So they just need to take the next step. You know, they've taken a lot of steps over the last couple of years, three years, um, but they need to take that next step now to to build a car for winning races as opposed to trying to build a car for, to be competitive. I'm going to risk sending us down a slight tangent here, but I, I would be remiss not to ask this given that you're on the podcast with us, Gary. When you have something like that with McLaren where they had this, I think, you know, clear preference of, of circuit. Now, I know that if you have a car that's got you know, loads of downforce, but also loads of drag. It's obvious they get. It's going to prefer a, a track with lots of corners and not many straights. It, but if uh, how did you find it in your career with the cars that you built that sometimes you just, even if it wasn't deliberate, because James Key said this that it, what they didn't intend for the McLaren to have this high speed strength, low low speed struggle. Did you have that where just sometimes no matter what you did the car you ended up designing just had a, a, a preference for a certain layout or type of corner, that sort of thing. Does, does that just manifest itself sometimes, even if you don't mean it to? Um, yeah, it does. I mean, you can, if you go back through the, you know, through the Jordan days, even into to, uh, Force India and all that, you know, the car always suited Spa. It was one of those tracks where it, it was a good car at Spa. No matter what the name, of, name was above the, the, uh, the, the door of the factory, the car was always quite good at Spa, so it does happen. But usually, it's something that's um, that's happening to the car slightly differently than you than you understand or you've you've got control over. In other words, you know, maybe front wing, the way it works, the stall of the front wing. What's what else that's affecting downstream that that may affect? And and it's as important to actually identify that and try and research it as, as to just keep on developing because you, you, know, you need to fix those little problems. You need a car that's consistent throughout the whole, the whole corner range and throughout all the tracks because that's where the, you know, the points come at every Grand Prix. It's not just the, the ones that suit you. So um, I think making sure you, you get your head around the problem, making sure you actually believe the problem and then try to get your head around the problem and see what you can do to, adapt, to address it. Is, is just as important as actually firing new bits onto the car and hoping they work because as I say it's so easy to make the problem bigger. Um, so I think I think we'll see I think we'll see a change because again, McLaren spent many years telling themselves they were better than they were. Even through the Honda years, they were they were pretty much telling themselves that the, you know the chassis was the best in the pit lane and the engine was an old dog. And then suddenly that all changes and the, the engines have just won the world championship. But during that period, I think that Zach Brown was was good at, at listening and, and looking and making sure that the people that were there that were hiding a bit, I suppose you might call, uh, sorted them out and, and, and replaced them or whatever. So I think he's got the, definitely the, the frame of mind that you, you, you listen, but you also look. And if what you're seeing isn't actually what you're hearing, then you, you, you try to address it and try to see why that is. And I think if they do that, They'll make another step forward. And actually, despite Daniel Ricciardo's struggles last year, his presence there, I think, will have helped them in that area. Well, they've said it has because they had to be aware of the problems, but also spend a lot of time researching them and understanding the limitations that weren't necessarily showing up. You know, you can only tackle a problem if you know it's there. And even if you know the symptoms, you don't necessarily know the root cause. So it's possible that Ricardo's struggles will actually feed into any improvement they make in that area. Let's hope so for McLaren's point of view. Ferrari, Gary, they tanked in 2020 thanks to the need to make those power unit changes, but recovered third last year. On paper, it's the best place to emerge as a consistent race winner of all the teams who weren't last year, isn't it? But what do you need to see from them for that to happen? Well, I think the first thing is, um, yeah, I agree with you. They, you know, they, went, they went astray in 2020 with whatever it was, um, 
with the regulations as far as the engine was concerned. But they did, they did, you know, they didn't panic. They didn't fire everybody in the, and the, had a red shirt on. They um, they worked their way through it, and they and they got themselves back on on form in twenty twenty one. And the car was actually quite good at quite a lot of races. You know, I think the car was 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 pretty consistent at most of the time. I think they got a good driver lineup. I think Carlos Sainz has has probably woken up Charles Leclerc a bit because it's one of those sort of things that he needed waking up because he was so dominant against Vettel that suddenly he was he was God's gift. So right now he'll be having a good winter of thinking about life and, and how he can find some lap time. And I think he'll come stronger next year because Carlos Sainz you know, wants to be a winner. He's in a Ferrari. Um, he's got the opportunity to be a winner. Uh, as far as the team's concerned, I've never really liked the the fact of of uh, Matteo Bonotto being team principal, CEO, technical director, or whatever. You know, all of that's a bit confusing for me because you can't divide yourself up as much as that. Now he probably isn't if you're inside the four walls. He probably isn't um, doing the day to day job of everything. He'll have some um, helpers sorting out some of the bits and pieces on that. So perhaps he's he's he is. It is a bit of an easier life for him. Um, but I think that's the area where, the, if anything, to me, they need to sort of restructure a little bit to make sure that both jobs are done efficiently and don't try to get one guy too involved in all of them because it's very easy for there to be grey areas that that get that get missed, I suppose, whenever there's one one voice that's directing all the operations. And, and as Scott says many times with these teams that we're reviewing, you know, there's operational stuff they have to do as well. It's not just about making the car better. There's operational stuff to do. So all of that needs to be addressed, to be honest, to be to make them take them that next step, to, to not just be on the back of, of Red Bull and, and uh, Mercedes. Um, but, you know, the next step to mixing it with Red Bull and Mercedes is is going to be the challenge. And this challenge with the new regulations is that opportunity. When the regulations for 2017, I think it was, when it was changed... Um, you know, Ferrari were the ones that came out with their the short side pods and found the solution to the side impact structures earlier than anybody else. Um, so they they have the the sort of focus there to sort of come up with with new ideas, good ideas. Um, they're quite buoyant about their new power unit for next year, so that's that's a step. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, it's down to them. They, they're feeling pretty good. They have two good drivers. Uh, they did a good job last year. Now they need to take that next step and, and really mix it with the guys at the front. And personally, I think they can. Personally, I would love to see it because, you know, Ferrari are Ferrari. They're, there's only one. Um, and it'd be lovely to see them right in there uh, being competitive again. I'm really interested to see if some of their, uh, I don't want to say background improvements, but things like, uh, the big step that they made with their pit stops, for for example, if if that continues when they're in a more stressful, pressured environment, if they are fighting for for, for wins again, are we going to see that that has uh, genuinely improved? I'm interested to see where they're at strategy wise because um, because they haven't been in that top position uh, for the last couple of years. We haven't really seen them. Um, handle those situations but it, it wasn't that long ago that Ferrari was the team that you could guarantee would completely misread situations with um, you know if there was rain coming or if there was a bit of rain and they were trying to work out what it, when it would be was it was it Japan was it like 2017 or 2018 where they 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 just made completely the wrong tyre call because there was a, a something rain related in qualifying I, I remember there was something baffling there so let's see um i i think they've they've turned an important corner on, on on that front but i don't think that journey's complete so if they are in title contention or, or not necessarily even title contention but you know sporadically fighting for wins this year I, I would like to think we're going to see those elements tested more regularly but ultimately if you're just purely judging what ferrari needs to to, to improve from third place it's have they eliminated that remaining power unit deficit and have have they actually found the the innovation that they claim to have found on on the chassis side as well they've made some pretty bold claims about what they've uh, tried to do with their all-round package and by that I don't mean they've said we're going to come out and be half a second quicker than anyone else but when they're talking about lots of innovation and things being significantly different you know it's bold for a team like Ferrari inherently quite 
conservative, I think, uh, especially in recent years, because they know that they've got a lot of work to do again, to be talking themselves up like that, because ultimately they're setting quite high bar to reach. If if their car comes out now and we're like, oh, this is no more impressive than a Haas, <laughs> then they're going to have fallen massively short of uh, expectations. So I, I'm really interested to see where they're at, because as you said, Ed, they're, they're the team, aren't they, that we're looking at and saying, if there is going to be one that joins Merck and, and Red Bull, it's got to be Ferrari, because obviously... They're just comfortably the biggest of the sleeping giants. Yeah, it's certainly been the big underachiever in recent times. And we've seen various things they've been chipping away at. They keep changing their their structure. They, uh, the technical leadership is strange. They sort of seem to have a de facto technical director in Enrico Cardile now. But at the same time, if you, as soon as you put a technical director across to be team principal, how can they leave that alone? Gary, I imagine you'd be a nightmare as a team principal. But then again, you never asked to be a team principal you because that wasn't your skill set. So yeah, well, it's, it's that's the key for them. No, the first thing I'd do is refuse to do it because that's not my job. You know, it's it's not like that. You have to, at the end of the day, you have to use your, your best, put your best foot forward, your best expertise and, and make sure you do that 100%. So I'm sure behind the behind the scenes, as I say, he has you know a few good second command people, but still, you're separating your your loyalties within you know very many different disciplines, and and that that makes it just tough. But I think as Scott says, you know Ferrari, they need to withstand the pressure of racing at the front. But I think I think to be honest, every team is always racing with somebody. It doesn't matter where you are down the field. Your your strategy is always important because you're always trying to beat somebody. Um, so we'll we'll see more maybe more mistakes uh, on decisions up front if they do get in there with the in the mix with Red Bull and Mercedes. But we we do see that with Red Bull and Mercedes as well. So at the end of the day, you know, it's it's, it's still just a race of a race of competition uh, somewhere in the field that you that every team is racing with. And you know, down the field, you don't notice it so much. Up the front, you notice it all the time. But um, I, I I've got I've got a bit of faith in Ferrari at the minute. Yeah, certainly we can all hope they do well. I think when Ferrari's strong, that's good for Formula 1. And if they're mixing it at the front, then I think everybody will be able to look forward to a, a more exciting season. Scott, let's move on to Red Bull. Not exactly much to criticise with their performances last year, running Max Verstappen to the driver's title and being right up there with Mercedes in the constructors' battle before losing out. So is there anything that needs to improve here? Yeah, I was struggling to think of one obvious priority for for, for them, but I, I have come up with a a couple of things that I think do need to be better. One is on, I guess, the car concept side itself, so just purely a, a technical and, and design perspective. And then the other's kind of operational, I, I think, but it's also related to understanding. So the first thing is I think that having gone so aggressively with in in the the, the high rake uh, direction in in recent years to a point where they were relying purely on Max Verstappen and his ability to um, just sort of keep a quite Larry car under control. Um, and I think that sort of tripped Red Bull a little bit into thinking that it was a more um, fertile ground to, to develop than it, than it really was. I think it caused them more problems than it needed to. And I think we saw, we, it was obvious from Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon not getting really anywhere near Max that this was a pretty special car to drive. But then when Perez came in and was obviously super experienced and had become a race winner the previous year, that just absolutely emphasised that there was just something about the the Red Bull concept that is just difficult to get to the limit of. There was a lot of talk from Red Bull in the summer last year that the new, uh, the new regs were going to alleviate that and it was going to become a more compliant car and a bit more of an easy car to take to the limit. So I think that's really important because if Red Bull want to win the Constructors' Championship, I think they have to have a car that not only Max can can do great things in, Checo's going to need to be up there more often than not. And yeah, he got there in the end or got quite close to being there in the end with last year's car. So it wasn't a total lost cause. But I just think anything they can do to just make the car a bit more compliant for both drivers is going to be going to be a plus. And then the other thing I wanted to, to, to flag, because I think this is a slightly different a- area, it felt like there were a few races last year, uh, Silverstone qualifying and the hung- and Hungary sort of spring to mind, but I feel like there were one or two more where they just didn't seem to quite understand what was going on in terms of getting the, 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 the front to work properly. And you saw sometimes they were just sort of like adding wing, adding wing, and then basically ran out of front wing to add. 
And we saw them having to change between specs of front wings at different times and stuff like that because they just, I don't know if it was because they couldn't get the tyres to work properly or it was just something that wasn't making the car work. And they just had sort of chronic understeer, basically. We heard Max talk uh, complain uh, in a few qualifying sessions about it. Um, so I, I'll be interested to know if they've understood that and if that pro- problem is either something that they've had to work to eradicate or it's something that will either be opened up all over again or completely eliminated because of the change in tyres for this year and changing car concepts. Is that even going to be a problem? Is it going to come back a 100 times worse? That That's not really something I can say they have to improve at the moment, but I'm just interested to see if that's just a little footnote from 2021 or if it rolls over as uh, an underlying feature of their car or their season. I think I think the thing you've got to look at there with, uh, with Adrian Newey is that any time in his career the regulations have changed he's always been able to come out with something that was that was pretty pretty decent to be honest yeah he he missed the the what 2009 um double diffuser package um but you know they adapted to it later in the season and, and became very competitive but at the end of the day you know these these regulations are going to be reduced you know like Last year, where you were, or the year before, where you were able to find maybe you know one two percent of downforce. Now it's going to be point one or point two of a percent of downforce. So there's going to be a lot less, but you still have to do it. Uh, your return for your bang for your buck is going to be a lot less. So, you, but you still have to go and find it. So at the end of the day, I would say that you know the high rake, low rake, the the fact of adding then Sergio Perez to the to the input required, having driven the high rake. Um, racing point and then the low rake racing point you know he comes in with with that sort of knowledge and you know pretty much a good back-to-back to be honest and their their relationship with with uh, alpha tori has got a bit stronger so again you know the alpha tori wasn't a slow car last year so you they, you know they can question why that was and uh so they got they got a lot of information they can put in the pile and, and try to come out with the right direction for it and again like ferrari i'd say i, I don't see any reason that red bull won't be very competitive again next year the big thing is that the the changes in the regulations have eliminated a lot of the front suspension dynamics that they they used um so perhaps that'll be an area where they need to sort of re-scratch their head a little bit but everybody was using it last year they just used it a bit more than everybody else so it's you know we're heading into the front of the championship here and it's it it gets pretty close you know there's a there's a good group of teams there that you think hmm this could all be pretty messy whenever it comes to the first race and uh, a whole bunch of them up the front. And of course, the thing some people will say for Red Bull in terms of question marks is the Honda engine no longer being there. But of course, the Honda engine is still there. It's just called a Red Bull engine. And that's also a 2022 properly developed Honda engine as well. So we can assume things should be strong on that score. Let's move on to Mercedes finally, Gary. It's dominated F1 for the last eight seasons. What's that, 15 out of 16 World Championships won? Does it mean it's unimprovable? And if not, where do you want to see that improvement? Well, I don't think anything's unimprovable. I think with any any car, any team, any any track, you never come away from it thinking, you know, yeah, we got a max hundred percent out of the car. You always you might come away with a win, you might come away finishing tenth, but no matter who it is, you never you never get a hundred percent out of it. So, again, for Mercedes, it's just the same as as, as any of the other teams down the field. They need to identify their weaknesses and uh, and try to address them. I don't think. You know, we look, we look at last season and we think everybody else got more competitive relative to Mercedes. Um, and, and it's true, but I think Mercedes were not as good as they expected to be. Um, and obviously the, 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 the low rate, floor changes, all that stuff um, got very messy with politics. But at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure they did suffer a little bit more than the high rate cars because of it. So they, they lost a bit of ground last year. So they've got a bit of ground to make up for next year with these new regulations and but you know although they've they've won as you say um the last eight seasons 15 out of 16 championships um you can't keep it going forever it's impossible you know there's a good group of people there they're stable all that sort of stuff but some point in time others do come and you know before that it was red bull and then it was you know mclaren or whoever it was and then it was ferrari so somebody's always coming and somebody's always learning that bit more because albeit that you're winning, you know, week in, week out, when you're doing that, you don't learn as much as if you're, you know, 
really having to dig deep and find solutions to problems. So Mercedes have, have had it very, very good. Um, but the, you know, there is a point in time when you really, really can't keep that momentum up. Um, it's very, very difficult. I don't think technically, I don't think organizationally or anything like that will, will trip up. I think it's just the fact that sometimes somebody else just does that a little bit better than you. And I think that might happen this year. And Scott, as Gary alluded to there, every empire does crumble in the end. Do you think Mercedes could be at risk of that this year, particularly with that extra confounding factor of the cost gap really having having set in properly now, should we say, in terms of the big teams themselves, Red Bull, Ferrari, have had to make quite a few changes to accommodate that? Yeah, well, that's the key difference between this rule change for Mercedes to deal with and the others that they've they've navigated. Obviously, 2017 was a huge one. They stayed on top. 2019 was a more minor one. They stayed on top. This is a huge one again, but it comes in a different landscape. So it's a harder thing for Mercedes to deal with. They've obviously had a change behind the scenes yet again with um, new technical uh, technical leadership on both the uh, the team side in general with Mike Elliott being there, but also the engine side. They 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 don't have Andy Cowell anymore. Um, I haven't had him overseeing the engine development through 2021 and therefore for the 2022 power unit. So yeah, there's um there there's there's quite a lot for Mercedes to have to deal with, but they've become the team that's dealt with the setbacks or the potential hurdles better than any other team for the last what seven years, eight years. So I I, I it's it's kind of difficult because you want to say that yes, there's every chance that they'll have tripped up but this is also the team that's probably best placed to avoid tripping up which is uh, not particularly encouraging for the others but let's see if I was going to pick out one thing for Mercedes to improve it's the reliability on the engine Um, you could argue it sort of a curse that became a blessing in this latter half of last year where by changing the engine they got a bit more power out of it in a crucial stage of the season because they were having this power degradation problem um, when the engine's got a bit old, but I just think in general you you want a you want a an engine that's going to degrade in performance terms as little as possible, be as reliable as possible, and give you hard. You don't you never want to make your life harder. So I think that's something that Mercedes will have had as a number one priority for 2022. Yeah, the thing I just quickly like to add is the fact that the bit that annoys me a little bit is the fact that they started 20, 2014 with these new regulations, the hybrid regulations, without doubt the best power unit in the pit lane. Um, and that sort of stayed there right through until the Honda developed their engine away from being a GP2 engine to a Formula 1 engine and beat them in the championship. But when when that got close in 2021, every time um, they would try to find fault in the Red Bull, rightly so or wrongly so, I don't know. But, you know, the flexing wing, the tyre pressures, everything was – there was a reason for getting beaten as opposed to looking at themselves and saying, we weren't quite quick enough here, so – you know, I'd like them to drag that back in again and just sort of make sure they make sure they they they, they take the blame whenever they can't do it quite right um, because they can do it right. So um, I think we wait and see what happens next season or the season starts, and uh, I think it'll be it'll be pretty impressive, pretty pretty interesting. I think a bit less politics and a bit less complaining from those at the front team wise will uh, will be welcome for everyone after what we experienced uh, last year but I wouldn't hold my breath let's uh, let's see but hopefully that's given everyone a bit of an idea of what to look for from each team in the coming season obviously we're moving into uh, the the launches coming up in February the first pre-season test in Barcelona so a huge amount to look forward to thanks very much for your insight Gary Anderson and Scott Mitchell head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen as there's loads to read there including some excellent technical articles by Gary if you enjoy your podcast check out some of the others produced by the race including bring back v10s which tells classic f1 stories and our formula e podcast and if video is your thing head to our youtube channel as the countdown to the f1 season ticks away make sure you stay with us on the race f1 podcast for everything you need to know about the world of formula one (laughs) 